Welcome to the Garbage Fire Podcast, a.k.a. MFKS Radio on the airwaves dial at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Kelsey and Megan, who are halfway to becoming sound engineers. <laughs> the Garbage Fire Pod is all about being unironically passionate to the point that you would dive into the dumpster for the things that you love. Yeah. That's Two us. good ones in a row, crushing We're, it in yes. 2019. All right, this is, is this the year where we don't fuck it up? No, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> well, we've made it six days. Uh, next week, we'll just be like, uh, how do you say words? What? <laughs> yeah, that'll be me. Uh, anyway, um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And all of those things. Um, Let's just get it. Just, just jump right in. Sure, go ahead. I want to talk about Aquaman. Tell me everything. Which I know you haven't seen yet. Correct. And I, like, kind of reluctantly went yesterday. I was like, oh, it's gonna be so bad. Um, it's a bad movie, I'll be very honest. This The dialogue is terrible. And there's, like, a subplot that is just unnecessary, I thought. Okay, I need more details. Okay, and I'm, I'm just never gonna, gonna I'm see just, this movie. Is, I'm, this is just the lead, okay? Like, I'm... Okay, I'm, okay, okay. I'm okay, getting sorry. there. Um, but, like... So yeah, the di- some of the dialogue is really bad. It's just super cheesy. It's like everything you'd imagine, like, um, like I don't know, CSI Miami to be. Like, it's just so, so predictable and whatever for some of that dialogue. But, <laughs> oh, well, you said Miami and not just CSI. <laughs> no, because I was thinking about what's-his-face taking off his sunglasses. Yes, um, of course. It, it's that kind of cheesy. Um, and then there's a, there's a giant plot, like, it's not a plot hole, well, apparently for Justice League there's a plot hole, I don't know, I didn't fucking see Justice League, what a waste of time. Um, but, um, there's a storyline in it that I thought was, like, extraneous and, and kind of padded the runtime a little bit more than it needed to. Um, but, like, the camera work was really cool, because obviously it was not filmed underwater, but they made it look like it was filmed underwater. Uh-huh. Uh, so I thought some of that was pretty cool, and there was like surprise, like well-known actors in it, also. Yeah, what's his name? Patrick. Patrick um... Wilson was was in it, which was pretty great, and uh, he plays like a pretty like solidly convincing villain, to be perfectly honest. Uh-huh. Um, Willem Dafoe was in it, and he was very good. Was he a villain? He was a good guy. He was like what? Yeah, he was supposed to like sort of protect Arthur. Okay, so here's the story. Here's the quick rundown please, of the story. Please. Um, Aquaman's real name is Arthur, and I think that's okay, important because okay. I'm going to call him Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> so his his name is Arthur. Anyway, his dad is the lighthouse keeper in Massachusetts, and like one day finds this like woman lying on the beach, and this woman, uh, played by Nicole Kidman, actually, um, also surprise, um, was from. Atlantis, the king, of course, like the the kingdom of Atlantis, and because she was uh, like royal born, she was able to breathe air and also water. They didn't okay. get in. They didn't get into that right away. That wasn't until later. But I was like, oh, there's that. That fills that plot hole for me because I was very confused. Um, and she had like fled an arranged marriage, and was trying to hide. Uh, so she thought she would, it would be better to hide on the surface, obviously, than, like, you know, uh, try and hide somewhere else, uh, in the ocean. So she stays up on, on Earth, and I don't know how long, and I, they did a really clever thing with the passage of time, because when they got, when she ended up in, in, uh, the human realm, she, uh, 
there's a dog in this house where Arthur's dad lived and he was just a little puppy. And then as time passed, they obviously had like an older dog. Uh-huh. Just to show the passage of time, uh, which I thought was a little, was a nice little clever thing so that you you understood that this wasn't all happening within a, a span of like months or whatever. Um and so so she so she stays and they they fall in love and she gets pregnant and they have this this beautiful little baby boy um and they name him Arthur after a hurricane that's happening while he's like just an infant. That seems Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit heavy-handed, but you know. Um, and then all of a sudden, when he's about, I don't know, he's probably about two or three, um, like, soldiers from Atlantis, they've found her, ultimately, and they come to take her away. Um, and she decides to go with them, because if she goes with them, then it'll protect her son. Okay, gotcha. Um, so she sacrifices herself to protect her son, and he grows up, and he's kind of like a little weird little kid. And there's this uh, scene where he's at the aquarium on a field trip, and like um, is communicating with the fish because he's like kids are like taunting, uh, they're like taunting the the fish as kids do. Um, and he like goes up and and uh, the the shark I guess gets like all worked up and is like smashing itself against the glass. And then Arthur goes up to the glass and puts his hand on the glass, and like all of the fish sort of like stop what they're doing and turn towards him. Oh my god. Um, which, as you find out later, of course, he's, like, the one true king and blah, 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 and he can control the ocean. Um, so, so that's, like, kind of his childhood. And, and then uh, Willem Dafoe's character, whose name I cannot remember and I don't care enough to look up, um, he's sort of been appointed as, like, by, by Arthur's mother as, like, a protector for him, right? And so he comes to Earth every once in a while, comes up to the surface every once in a while and, like, you know, teaches him combat and things like this and sort of how to, how to wield some of his power and all this sort of thing, which is kind of cool. Um, and then you get into, uh, adult Arthur, which who of course is played by Jason Momoa. And, uh, that's the best part of the movie right there. Like, I'll be very honest. There's, there's no, there's no getting around that. Um, and it starts off, um, once you, once you get get past his exposition, he defends these, like, Russian naval officers, I would assume, on a, on, like, a submarine crew, uh, from pirates. Okay. And, uh, so, and the pirate subplot is where, is the, the little thing where I thought was dumb. So he defends this, like, Russian submarine from these pirates. He, like, pushes the submarine all the way up to the surface and just, like, kills all of the pirates except for two. One gets trapped uh, underneath, like, a, a missile or whatever, a torpedo, I guess it would be, because it's under the, under the water. Um, and, of course, uh, the one who gets trapped, his son, is also part of this pirate crew. Uh, and Arthur leaves this guy pinned underneath this torpedo and is like, you got yourselves into this, now get yourselves out. And because of it, this old man, well, he's not an old man, but this father dies and then his son wants to exact revenge on Arthur. And that's like a weird subplot in the movie that I thought was very unnecessary. That's not even the main... No. Oh. From what I understand, and I haven't done a lot of looking, but his uh, his name is Manta and I'm assuming that he's like uh, a villain... Like an Aquaman yeah. villain, and that's totally Black fine. Manta, Wikipedia to- says. Totally cool. Um, but he, it, the subplot was I thought unnecessary because what you have is then you have, you know, like Arthur does the thing, and then he goes home, sees his dad. They go to the bar, they get super drunk, um, and then these guys come up to him in the bar and like, hey, can we take a picture with you? Uh, and then you see this like series of snapshots of just like 
these dudes getting drunker and drunker and drunker. Um, and then they're on their way home, and then this, like, storm comes up or whatever, and Amber Heard is part of this. And she's in the movie, and she's not great. Um, oh, no. She was fine, and I know for sure why she was cast, but, like, she's not a great actor. Uh, and she needs his help to defeat uh, Orm, who's played, like, Patrick Wilson's character. Because if he becomes, and here's the here's the name for the guy who's going to rule the oceans, Ocean Master, um, then he will control, it's, that's like the dumbest thing. He'll control like the largest military, you know, power in the world, and then they're going to wage war on the surface. Uh, and there's, so there's some like environmentalism issues, is like, look at what you've done to our people, and look okay, at Okay, but wait, I have a question. Uh-huh. So, I thought you said that only the royal people can breathe air. Yeah, she's a princess. Yes, so how are the water people supposed to rage war on the surface people if only the royalty can breathe air? Oh, so if they fill that plot hole as well. Um, because, so in this, like, Manta subplot, at some point in time, Arthur and this, uh, and her name is Mara. Um, she's got this very long name, and she goes by Mara. They're off looking for, um, a map to somewhere? It doesn't, none of it matters. Anyway, um, I'm, I've, I saw this less than 24 hours ago and there's already things I don't remember. Um, but there's like soldiers from Atlantis or wherever coming to arrest them and bring them back. And these guys have these like masks on where like, you know, when you watch like a movie where people go to space and you like have your helmet on, well, these helmets are filled with water. So, oh my god, it's like Sandy Cheeks and Spongebob. Yes. And when they visit her little dome, Patrick and Spongebob put water things on. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So, and it's fine. I mean, that makes, I mean, they don't explain it, obviously, but it makes total sense. And, you know, and that, and that's fine. And so, like, one of the ways in which, like, Mara and Arthur kill some of these guys is to, like, punch holes in their masks so the water leaks out. Um... Okay. Because then they can't breathe. Then they're choking on the air, and that's totally fine. Like whatever. Some that it doesn't matter. Um. So it. But this this little plot hole, this little like plot line with, um. With these guys like attacking them, is because of Manta, and he wants to exact revenge because you know Aquaman killed his father or whatever. And I'm just like, oh god, this added like a solid twenty minutes to this movie that it did not need. Um. Because what would have made more sense, basically what's happening under the water is that this King Orm, who's like Arthur's half-brother, um, and is like the legitimate king, quote-unquote, um, because his, both of his parents were, were royal, ultimately, he wants to unite all of the kingdoms uh, of the ocean. And you need, in order to do so, you need like the, I don't know, the allegiance of four, like f- there needs to be a coalition of four of the seven. Uh-huh. Uh, and so he's got two, and then he like basically bullies the other two into, into joining them. Um, and then, then they can wage war on the surface, is sort of the idea. It's just, like, it's, it was so very convoluted. But, like, the stuff that I really liked about it, um, and obviously in the end, like, Arthur becomes the king of, not the underworld, the underwater. I was gonna say, no, underworld is <laughs> He is not Hades. Um, but the things that I really liked about it were, the cinematography was actually pretty cool. Um, because obviously they're not filming this stuff underwater, right? They're obviously filming, you know, on land. And so a lot of what they've done and the way that the actors are moving through spaces on like, you know, they're on wires and whatnot and they're moving around, but then the special effects are done to like make it look like they're underwater, Uh which I think was really cool. I thought that was actually really well done. 
Um, because really? Because it looked in the trailer so hokey. So there were there were parts there were moments where it was, but there were some parts like you know when you're. Um, and I mean, I, like obviously, it's designed like if you're looking in water, your your sight's pretty blurry. Yeah. Right. Well, obviously, the way that they've done it is to make it look like we can also see underwater, uh-huh. so it's not blurry, right? Um, but you could see like as as characters are talking to each other under the water, you can kind of see the water like moving a little bit around them, so their faces are a little bit distorted and and things like that, um, as it would look if you were actually in the water. And I thought that, and, like, the way that people's hair moves in the water and stuff like that, um, I thought was really cool. And there was no points in time, um, or very few points in time anyway, where, uh, people were walking under the water. They were always swimming? Yeah, like, not always, but most of the time they were, which I thought was a good touch as well. Because, like, walking underwater is really hard. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's absurd. Right? And so, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but, like... There was a, a moment near the end where, of course, like, Arthur and Orm have this, like, big battle and Arthur defeats him to become, you know, the king of the oceans or ocean master or whatever the fuck. And, uh, there was this, like, this moment where in this little battle scene that I was just like, holy fuck, that is a stunning shot. Um, oh, really? Which, unfortunately, like, took me out of the fight scene because I was so focused on how beautiful it was. But, yeah, there was it was just the way that... There's just, like, the camera angle, the way it was canted, and, like, the coloring, and it was just all really, really well done. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, Interesting. So, highlights of the movie, uh, Jason Momoa not wearing a shirt for a lot of it. Of course. Um, there were points where I thought he should have been shirtless, but wasn't. <laughs> but not, like, but, but not, not just, like, because he's beautiful, because there's also that. But, like, there were points where... Like, nearer to the end, he, like, goes, has to go through, uh, this, like, waterfall in behind this waterfall down into this cave in, that's ultimately in, like, this hidden ocean to get the trident that belonged to, um, the first king of Atlantis, and that's, uh-huh. like, the weapon that's going to... It's very much like the ring, like, in Lord of the Rings. It's got this yeah, kind of... Yeah, I've heard it. those comparisons. Um, yeah, and so then there's, like, the one... The, but there's, whole like, the one true king and whatever. And then, of course, he's King Arthur, which I was just like, oh, for the love of God. Um, but anyway. Um, so he goes... He, like, he's wearing these, like, lounge pants and this, like, long-sleeved shirt. And he just dives through this waterfall. He goes through this waterfall and, like, ends up, you know, and ends up getting this trend. But I was like, you know... I feel like in real life he would have taken his shirt off. So I feel like they should have made him do that there too. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, but no, it was, so funny. it was fun. And like the comparisons you hear, if you, you, you'll hear people talk about like how Aquaman is just like the Thor of the DC universe. And it's totally true. Uh-huh. Right? Because like, I mean, he's like, obviously this like big brawny god, right? Like there's those comparisons, but there's also this like, like the sort of like the comedic value of it as well. Um, yeah, he's got like a chip. Yeah, a chip on his shoulder. A little bit of one, yeah. But he's also, but he also says like some funny stuff. Um, and he's got you know, and he just sort of he, he just kind of enjoys the life that he's living, and uh-huh. then he's like, oh fuck, I gotta go save these fucking people. Like you know what I mean? Like it's just sort of, it's sort of a secondary thing. Um, but right. it was, all in all, it was pretty enjoyable. Like, it's not a great movie. The dialogue's pretty bad, and there's some, like, some plot holes and like, this, like, subplot with Manta, who, like, at the end, somehow didn't die in this battle that he and Arthur had, which I don't know why they even had it in this movie, but, like, he's not dead, 
and then he like gets rescued by like the only scientist on earth who believes in Aquaman um <laughs> who's like gonna help and he wants and so the scientist like wants to find Aquaman and Manta's like you know if you help me I'll help you kind of thing uh, because Manta, of course, wants to kill him. And I was just like, but first of all, you're a fucking pirate. Of course one of you is going to get injured at some point in time. Like, you chose to be pirates, you dumbass. That's true. I was just doing a quick Google, and it looks like Black Manta is, like, Aquaman's arch nemesis, mm. essentially. Yeah, and, and that's totally fine. But just the way that they set it up, I was like, I don't know if they needed to have it now. Yeah, I think they could have very easily had, like, the pirate thing. is like, I'll get you next time, Aquaman, right? Like, that kind of thing. And then at the very end in this mid-credits scene, where he's, like, working with this scientist. And that's all. They could have just had those two things. And not had the little, like, the bit in the middle about it. Because it felt very much thrown in as, like, filler. Yeah, for sure. And I bet it was probably like all superhero movies could have been like a half hour shorter oh easily and if they got rid of that all of like the manta stuff that would have been probably is 10 minutes of stuff that we didn't need to have Uh you know so yeah but it was good it was entertaining like i laughed a lot i went with riva and jill and jill laughs she's got a great laugh oh she's got a great laugh and going to watch movies with her is like one of the joys of my life oh for sure because like she she laughs and her laugh makes other people laugh because she's not quiet about it. Like you, you, uh-uh. you know her laugh. She's she's not quiet about it. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it that part was really fun. Um, and then also like the parts where yeah, like I say, where Jason Momoa had his shirt off, also super fun. Um, the first shot where you see him like when he drops down into the submarine. Because he, like, pushes it up to, at the very beginning, he pushes it up to the surface, and then, like, obviously pulls the hatch off, and then when he drops down, and he, like, he's got his back to the camera, it was very reminiscent of, um, Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther, when he's, like, burning the... Oh, really? Yeah, and I was like, oh, alright then. I like that symmetry. It was real good. Um, yeah, and I would, I would watch another Aquaman movie for sure. Okay, well, clearly there's going to be another one since they've done all this work for yes. Black Manta. And also, the thing that I have decided, too, is that I would watch a movie that was just Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Oh, for sure. Just dealing with, like, these fucking mortals that they have to deal with. These, like, normal humans. Well, and humans. they're just so much more interesting than Superman and Batman. I mean, I like I like Batman a lot. I don't like this iteration of Batman, but I do like Batman a lot. Partially because he doesn't have superpowers. I know, but it's just, like, the... I I agree. Like, I love the Christian Bale and the Nolan Batman. I think it's very interesting. It has problems, but it's very interesting and compelling. But there's... it's He's so oversaturated. Yes. Like, I just don't find the story interesting anymore. Everybody knows it. Yes. Um, and Superman's the worst. Yeah, he's just so boring. Well, he is. And, like, my problem with Superman is and has always been that, like, the thing that is his biggest sort of bugaboo doesn't exist on Earth. Yeah, so... And he spends all his time on Earth. constantly need alien enemies. Yeah. And he spends all his time on Earth, and he should be able to just, like, fucking own the place. Uh Uh-huh. But instead, he's almost getting defeated at every turn all the time. Yeah, for sure. Considering he's, like, a god. Yeah, and I find that very, very problematic. 
Um, what do you think would happen if he and Wonder Woman, like, had a baby? Mm, I don't know. You'd have to think that that would be, like, the most powerful child in the, like, in the world. Universe? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. Like, because aren't they both kind of, like, immortal? Yeah. Well, yeah, like, she's not immortal, but, like... She's very old. Yeah. And she ages very slowly. Yeah, and I mean, he's also not immortal, but again, unless you have the kryptonite, he's not gonna die. Yeah. I don't know, that's a good, that, that's a very good question, I'm not sure. It'd be friggin' beautiful, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it would be wonderful. No, I'm distracted thinking about that. Oh my god, Randall Park played that doctor at the end? Yeah. <laughs> Randall. Well, and there was, it was funny too, because there was a couple, like, scenes of him earlier in the movie where he was, like, on TV talking about Aquaman or whatever, um, uh-huh. and... And I was like, oh, this guy, he's the best, and he's so funny. I love him. He has such a face that is just so endearing. Yeah. He's just delightful. But, I mean, obviously, in this, he's going to be a bad guy. Yeah. And But you, but it's believable. Like, because as much as his face is, like, very endearing, it's believable that he could also be, like, he could be a bad guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, no, I, I mean, I would say, like, if I was going to give it a rating... I would say, overall, it's probably about a 7 out of 10. Okay, wow. But, but like, that's, but then it, that's, bec- that's an average, right? So it gets a 70%, but, like, I would say, like, the cinematography and that kind of stuff is, like, kind of in, like, the 9 range, and then, like, the story itself is sort of, like, down in that 5, 5.5. Oh, okay. Right? So it balances out to about a 7 because it is actually quite striking. Um, which was... well, I'm glad because if, like, if the story would have been bad and the visuals were also shit, like, yeah. good luck. Yeah, because yeah, like I was really surprised at like the end near the end because they're how it's this fight and they've they've taken it up. It basically Arthur's like forced Orm to fight on the surface rather than underwater. Okay. Um, he, which, I mean, and because Orb is a prince, he can, like, breathe the air or whatever anyway. But it makes sense, right? Because, like, the first, the first fight that they had where Arthur was mostly defeated was underwater, right? And so, like, Mara says to him, like, take, you know, you, like, make him come to you ultimately. So they force this fight up on the surface, uh, and it's on top of, like... A, a ship of some kind, like a sub, a submersible of some kind, whatever it's called. That they don't get into any of those specifics. But when Orm like kind of comes up and then like is ready to start, like that shot was just so striking, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" I did not expect this at all. Wow. And now that I've seen it, I would like to maybe watch it again. Like, just I don't need to see it again in theaters, but just to watch it again for some of that other stuff because there were some really cool, there's some really really cool like composition things that that they did. So. Yeah, that that really surprises me because like the the thing from the trailer that I remember the most is that like really cheesy hokey shot of like whatever they're like in like a gladiator yeah arena and like the fans are like shocked into silence and then they all scream at the same time and yeah. it's just like that is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. Oh yeah, that scene, the, the, that's called the, the Ring of Fire, and... 
underwater. Yeah, don't ask questions. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> those are some of the things that you just have to turn your brain off for, just because otherwise you'd be like, I don't get it. What's happening? What's going on? Why is this happening? Um, but they so they end up on this platform, and they're like fighting on this platform. And I was, but then they don't mostly fight on the platform. And I was like, so why do you have the platform? Yeah, for sure. Why is it not just like an aquatic battle to the death? It's a good question. But anyway, I would say 7 out of 10. Okay. So in terms of like, we were talking about this before, but like the DC movies Mm -hmm. and the universe... You haven't seen all of them, I don't think. No, I've I, no, I haven't seen Justice League, and I haven't seen Batman versus Superman because fuck Ben Affleck forever. But I would say, based on what I know, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, probably I don't know. I Justice League, and then Batman versus Superman, or flip them around, and then like every other movie ever made, and then Suicide Squad. Did you see Man of Steel? Oh yeah, Man of Steel was great until it wasn't. Yeah, it should have been two movies instead of one. I've thought that since, like, the day that I saw it. Yeah. That movie should have ended when he reveals the suit. Yes, exactly. And then the second movie would have been him fighting Zod. Agreed. And then the third movie is Batman versus Superman. And then you have more time to sort of built up... To Justice League. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I... But yes, I I kind of forget that Man of Steel is part of that universe. Yeah, it was so... Like, I remember seeing the trailers for it, and it had, like, that pastoral... Where are they from? Like, fucking Indiana or some shit? Kansas. Kansas, Indi- thank you. Indiana, wherever, and somewhere. it's, like, the clothes fluttering on the clothesline, mm. and the, the wheat field. That and, scene oh, with the clothes... That trailer was so good. When he's a kid, and he, like, comes, and he's, like, wearing his, like, white t-shirt and his jeans and that red towel around his neck like a cape. Mm-hmm. But, like, the what I liked about all of that stuff was, like, the tone of it. And it was that kind of, like, almost a little bit washed out, so, like, the white, the white balance was really high. Yeah. And but I, but I really liked all of that. Um and like obviously like Henry Cavill like, you know, walking out of the water there with no shirt on. I was like, yeah, okay, that that seems all right. But I was just thinking <laughs> I was like, that was so long ago, but it wasn't. That movie came out in 2013 because that's when I was living in Ireland. And in that time, that was like the first of their like extended universe whatever because the Nolan yeah. Batman are like a separate entity obviously. So there's been Man of Steel, there's been Batman vs. Superman, there's been Justice League, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman in that time, right? In those, like, let's say five years. years. Um, In that same time frame. (laughs) I know where you're going with it. Yeah, I was just like, because so Avengers, the first Avengers was 2012. Well, what about Iron Man? I remember because Iron he, Man starts it all. That was what twenty ten. Two thousand eight, I think, was the first. Oh, one. really? Yeah, or maybe nine. Anyway, but but just in that same time frame, from like twenty thirteen until like now, there's been six DC movies, and there's been like what fourteen <laughs> Marvel movies. Uh, yeah. And I, don't I know. would say, without any question that every single one of those Marvel movies is better than every single one of the DC movies except for maybe Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman's the only one that 
has any bones to stick with them, I think. Yeah, like, yeah, so so Wonder Woman aside, all of those Marvel and there's been so many of them, are better than all of those DC movies. Which is so interesting, because, like, the, the concept of the superheroes in Marvel are so much more ridiculous mm-hmm. than the DC ones. Yeah. I think. Like, a man who turns into an ant. What? A man who turns into a giant green rage monster. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, I think, more patently absurd than the fiction of, essentially, like, gods of different realms. You know, like Wonder Woman Mm -hmm. and Aquaman and Superman. Superman and Batman's just a guy with some money. You know, like, but yet the Marvel films are so much better. Yeah. Okay, are you ready for this? Are you ready to hear this? I just Oh god, you got the list? I got the list. Okay. So yeah, so there were six movies in the first phase of the Marvel of the MCU. So Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, uh, Iron Man Two, Thor, Captain America, and then Avengers. Uh-huh. That was like the end of the first phase. And that was in twenty twelve. So starting in twenty thirteen was with Iron Man three. Okay, and that's the first one. So between then and like right now, we'll just go with right now. I'm not even gonna count the stuff that's coming out later this year. There's been Iron Man 3, uh, Thor 2, Captain America 2, Guardians, Avengers 2, Ant-Man, Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians 2, Spider-Man, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, uh, Avengers Infinity War, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. I think that's 14. Yeah. Oh my god. In the same time frame. pretty wild and like they've been just absolutely fucking wildly successful mm-hmm. like that's the thing that is amazing to me is that i mean and i'm part of it too because i'll go fucking watch these dumb movies like i don't have a problem with that mm-hmm. but like they are so wildly successful what i'm really like actually happy about is how successful aquaman has been because like in the past year we've really been thinking about and making sure that Hollywood executives know that people of color can lead films. Yes. And it makes me really, really pleased for Jason Momoa that, again, we have another proof of this, that stop casting white people in your movies. Yes. I mean, basically everybody else in this movie is white, but yes, there's... Yeah, but he's... And I'm really hoping that his dad is some sort of Polynesian. He is, or maybe... (laughs) I don't know if... Actually, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'd have to look him up. I don't know if he's Polynesian or if he's, like, supposed to be, like, Native American. Oh, he's from New Zealand, the actor, but... They never... Well, and they don't don't address that, right? But, like... But he doesn't have an accent or anything, so I would assume that he's maybe potentially, like, Native American. Oh, okay. And that, but it doesn't matter, like, in the, and it doesn't matter, because he was definitely, like, visibly a person of color. Uh-huh. Um, and then just, you've got white as white Nicole Kidman as his mother. Yes. <laughs> um, but I'm looking up here at the box office here mm-hmm. for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they've had 20, 20 films that they've released so far, and the budget on those is roughly $4 billion to make those movies. 
And the total box office on those movies is $17.5 billion. Shit. <laughs> like, it's absolutely insane. Oh my god, fix the water in Flint. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, Jesus. Holy shit. Whereas, like, the DC Extended Universe has made six movies... Um, with a budget of $1.2 billion and has made about $4.7 billion, which is more, it's more or less on the same kind of track, you know? But Do those budgets include marketing, though? Because I, I think that's just the production budget. I, well, I don't know. I'm just looking at what the Wikipedia tells me. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, okay. That's crazy. That is crazy. Wow. The worst part is that we have to wait till 2020 for fucking Wonder Woman. I know. Did you see they just wrapped? Yeah, yeah all the other day? Mm-hmm. Ugh. It's killing me. But it's okay. It's going to be so good. When in 2020? Like, why can't they fucking release it December? Well, I don't know. It just says 2020 here. Ugh. Um, let's see. It's scheduled to be released in June of 2020. Ugh. Fuck me. Are you kidding? No, I'm not. Why? I don't know. Ugh. I don't know. But I'm kind of excited for it. Oh, I'm extremely excited for it. But, like, how dare they? Yes. I'm just really, I just want to know... Like, how they bring Steve Trevor back. Like, what's the... Oh, my God, I know. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Right? Like... <laughs> like, there's a theory. I got a theory, but it doesn't matter. I'm just curious to know how they bring him back. Yeah. And, like, for him to be the same age in 84... <laughs> Well, they obviously gave him, like, the Steve uh, Rogers treatment, right? Where he, like, yeah. ended up entombed somewhere. Holy shit. Yeah. Chris Pine as Steve Rogers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's something your brain didn't need to No, I... You might need to talk for the next hour, because I feel like you might have just <laughs> short-circuited me. That's... No, there's gotta be some sort of like image out there someone's done that i'm gonna google it right now oh no does it exist oh man alive chris pine as steve rogers oh actually i don't see anything i thought there'd be some photoshops that would be that's like too much it's just too much. He's he's fine as Steve Trevor. He is more than fine as Steve Trevor. Well, yes, we know that, but... <laughs> he's above average, I mean. remember? Of course he is. Oh, so good. Well, you did it. How long did you talk about Aquaman for? Way longer than I expected. That was like almost <laughs> half an hour of movie talk. <laughs> So recommend them to go see. I think so. I think it was super fun. Like it was, it's a, it's, it's almost unfortunate um, that it's a like a, a wintertime movie. 
because it's very much like a big like a summer blockbuster. Yeah. You know. DC must have something coming out this summer that they didn't want competition with, and they didn't want Wonder Woman at the same time. As. Maybe actually, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Let's look it up. Um, they have a movie called Shazam coming out. Sorry, I didn't hear you. They have a movie called Shazam. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, that's gonna be a flop in April. It might not be. It might not be, because, uh, do you know, what, what are we doing here? Who's in it? I do know. I'm blanking on his name. He was amazing in, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, season two. Mark Strong? No, not him. I love Mark Strong. I do, too. But who's the guy playing Shazam? Uh, I'm assuming Zachary Levi. That's correct, yes. He's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mark Strong is in it, and who else is in it? Uh, Jaimon Honsu is in it. He's, like, the wizard. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love Jaimon Honsu. I know, he's great. I hope, and it looks like maybe in this one he's not a villain, so that's nice. Oh, good for him. Because he's a villain in so many things. He is. Except for friggin' Blood Diamond. God, he's good in that movie. He really is. Like, he really, really is. Oh, and Mark Strong plays the villain, so there we go. Of course he is. That'll be... He's a great villain. Wasn't he, like, Sinestro? He was Sinestro, yes. (laughs) Oh, Mark Strong. (laughs) He was also, um, in the Robin Hood, the Russell Crowe Robin Hood. Oh, really? As, um, I can't remember. The Sheriff of Nottingham? Was he the sheriff of Nottingham? I have no idea. I haven't seen that movie. That was just, like, the one thing that came to mind. No, I can't remember who he played now. I'll look it up, because I really like... Oh, no, he was just, like, one of the... He was one of, like, King John's men. And he, uh... Yeah, it was good. He was really, really good. He's been in a lot of stuff, and he's very good in all of the things that he's in. I know. I adore him. Yeah, he's great. And he's also kind of super hot. Just leave it there. For, like, he's very hot in the Kingsman movies. Yep, mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Yep. And do I wish he would get his teeth fixed? Yes, of course I do, because that's a focus of mine as someone who previously had bad teeth. Mm-hmm. But he's still gorge. He really is. It's true. Okay, oh my god, can I please talk about Mary Poppins? You can talk about Mary Poppins all you want. Okay. Oh my god, making Mary Poppins. Are you crying because it was bad? I cried probably four times during the movie. Really? Just like periodically. It was like so heartbreakingly beautiful. So to get you in on the plot, the two Banks children... um, are grown up and um uh mary and oh fuck what's the other one's name shit oh my god can you google for me yeah (laughs) i forget what the other kid's name is is it it's not john i don't know hang on oh it's killing me well anyway ben wishaw plays him and he plays him so incredibly good i love ben wishaw with my whole goddamn heart 
and it's heartbreaking because the film starts out with um, Ben living in the house that they lived in as children after their father passes away with his three kids because his wife just died. His name is Michael. Michael! And um, it's so heartbreaking because the children have in the absence of their mother become like little independent adults and they're like all under the age of 10. Oh, okay. And Ben Wishaw is just like an absolute disaster. He's grieving so much for his wife as he should be, of course. And there's these moments throughout the film where the loss of the mother isn't really what the film is about. It's about kind of helping the adult Banks children kind of remember who they are and remember to live life with with joy and and wonder at the same time and also like being productive people because the michael has become super cynical okay obviously after the death of his wife and there's these little moments throughout the movie where either the children sing a little part of a song or Ben Wishaw sings a little part of a song and right at the start he's trying to find this important piece of paper that's such like a blatant plot device I knew immediately what it was and where the secret piece of paper was mm-hmm. but um, he's trying to find it and he's up in the attic and he sings a song that's like a conversation with his dead wife and there's all these pauses and it's like the absence of her voice, like it should be a duet. Oh, man. Oh, my God. I was bald. And this is like seven minutes in. I was weeping, just weeping. It was so beautifully done. And then anytime I wasn't weeping, I was just smiling ear to ear, grinning, so happy that you were just seeing this gorgeously wonderful film on screen. It was so delightful. That's awesome. And Lynn kills it. As Jack the Lamplighter, he was so good. And I was just like, you know, a little bit, not necessarily like nervous for him, but I was just like, this is his first super big thing after Hamilton. And it's a big acting job. And it's not... A play where you can kind of hide in the distance. This is like you got some big oneers. <laughs> yeah. It's just you, Jack. Yeah. On stage, you're leading the show. He's essentially like the person who brings in and brings out the movie. And I thought that he did an absolutely stellar job. He played it perfectly. He has a terrible Burt Cockney accent, just like Burt did in the first one. Mm-hmm. He sings great. He dances wonderfully. I'd say, like, the show-stopping number is uh, a point where they all get lost in the fog and have to find their way back home. And Jack is a lamplighter, has all his... He calls them Learys, which reminded me of Outlander. And I was just like, every time they said Leary, I felt like I had, like, a a trigger, like, shiver. I was just like, no, that's evil. That's an evil word. Um, to light their path home. And it's such, like, a gorgeous, old-timey, like, musical dance number that looks like 
it just reminded me of Fred Astaire. So much leaping, so much like legs high, spinning and kicking. Oh, it was just absolutely stunning. Okay. Loved every second of it. That's awesome. And it was really funny because there's cameos by Dick Van Dyke who played Bert in the first one. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, there's this really beautiful number. Um, I think it's like the only only way to go is up. And it's sung by Angela Lansbury, who has a small part as this balloon lady. Okay. And everyone, I swear to God, everyone in the theater that I was in thought that Angela Lansbury was Julie Andrews. Really? (laughs) Yeah, because everyone got so excited when, like, obviously you can recognize Dick Van Dyke as Dick Van Dyke. Like, there's no way people didn't know that was him when he was doing his cameo. Right. And then the same, like, excited reaction happened when Angela Lansbury appeared on screen. And I was like, guys, they don't look anything alike. What are you doing? Everyone was like, oh, oh my God, it's her. And I was just like, what? No, this is the freaking, this is Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast, you guys. They do not have the same singing voice. How dare you insult Julie Andrews with that? <laughs> That's funny. But it was so good. I thought that the cast absolutely crushed it. I'm obsessed with everything that Emily Blunt does. I think she is luminous and perfection, and she crushed being Mary Poppins, which, as you, I think, would agree, would be so difficult to jump into. Yeah. It's such an iconic role and an iconic character for um, kind of pop culture. And I thought that she did an absolutely stellar job. And just made me so happy. I just drove home and I was just like, my heart felt full. Well, that's good. That's the way it should be. Yeah. The musical numbers were so good. I immediately got home and downloaded them on Spotify. And I'm just looking forward to just just reminiscing and just singing my heart out and crying my heart out to those songs on the next road trip I take. And so were there things about, like, what was it other than, like, because I, I know that so, I guess... Full disclosure, not a fan of Mary Poppins. Well, let's be clear. You haven't seen it in full. Yeah, because it's bad and I can't get through it. Um, And we know that I watch bad movies. Yes. So it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm like a snob about bad movies. I just, I can't, I can't get through it. Um, but but wait, 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 you like musicals. I do like musicals. And so it's not the musical. I, I just, I just don't like it. Okay. Um, part of it is probably, I would, I would assume just knowing what I know about myself, the like weird sort of magic-y nature of things. Yeah. I was going to say, cause that's like, so not your, it's not my, not really my bag at all. But, but she's, like... she's not like, she's not like a witch. No. Like that's not what Mary Poppins is. She's just like a, a sort of fantastical creature. She's just like she's a superhero. She's a superhero nanny. Uh, that's what she is. I would disagree, but anyway, so not she's really. She's Doctor Stephen Strange. I'm. 
I'm not a big fan of Mary Poppins, but I can imagine that, like, for people who are, that, like, approaching something like this, there would be a little bit of trepidation, right? Like... Yeah, to be like, this is, you know, <laughs> in, in reference to Ghostbusters, don't ruin my childhood. Right. Um, but, like, but, like, Ghostbusters made everything better, so, um, but no, I just, I, I, I wonder, like, if, if, was there anything in the movie that, that you saw the way that they'd done it, and you were like, mm, or, or was it enough of, like, a continuation of the story and not a remake that made it okay with some of, like, the liberties or whatever that they took with certain things? Well, it still is very much, like, the, the plot itself is not very different from the first one. It's still a father who's disconnected from his children, and the children are independent more so than they should be, and lack imagination and cynical because they have a poor relationship with their parents. Like, that's essentially what the first one is as well. But there's... Um, there's enough in there that updates it too like they in terms of I think this one's a lot more emotional than the first one is because I've seen the first one I don't know 15 20 times I don't think I've ever cried in it and I like weeped it was so touching so I think that they did an excellent job to update the story for something that might be a little bit more emotional okay and maybe less fantastical like it's got more of a heart to it than the first one does okay and um i really appreciated that part of it and the only kind of thing that i didn't like is i didn't like the first adventure they go on with mary poppins it's this like extended musical number where she essentially transport the tub into an undersea world and they all have a bath and they're singing and dancing with dolphins and it just didn't have the same feel as the rest of the numbers did even though like at one point they're transported into a ceramic bowl and they're the only live action creatures in it everything else is like animated so like from what i'm hearing is like mary poppins is like miss frizzle on the magic school bus yeah kind of each of the adventures has a a purpose to it okay. to teach them essentially like some sort of moral lesson. Right. The villain was played by Colin Firth. Ugh. Which it, I was like quite surprised about. Did you know he was in it? I know, I didn't. Oh. I also wasn't watching a ton of trailers or anything um, about it because A, I don't watch live TV like ever, and B, I wanted. I'm trying to avoid doing that. Like, I've only seen the Infinity War trailer once, and I didn't really pay much attention, because, mm-hmm. like, I just want to go into movies this year just fresh. Yeah. And I kind of did the same for Mary Poppins, and I felt like that was a good choice, because for each of the numbers that I saw, it was, like, a new visual experience to me. Okay. So, I think that was, like, a good move. Okay. And it's nice to... It's nice to go to a movie and not be like, oh, I already recognize this, and oh, I already recognize that. You're just there for, like, the narrative and the, the visual escapism of it all. Right. That's kind of what my 
perspective was. Have you seen Into the Spider-Verse? No. I really want to. Yeah, I really want to, too. I've heard really wonderful things about it. And Chris Pine voices a a version of Spider-Man in it. Sure does. Sure does. Chris Pine, the year of Pine 2019. Yes. And obviously 2020, because Wonder Woman, too. So there you go. True. Um, I feel like every year is the year of Pine, actually. It really, really is. So I was thinking, you know how we last week, was it? Yeah, it must have been last week that we did our, like, year in review or whatever. Uh Uh-huh. I fucked up on my movies, and I would like to make an addendum. Oh, well, I'd like to add Mary Poppins to mine, so go right ahead. But you didn't see it in 2018, so uh, dunk on Yeah, you. but it was released in 2018. Okay, so I w- it was fun. I don't know what what happened where I, like, forgot about this, but a movie that I saw um, in, like, the spring that I know I talked about on here, but I'd forgotten all about it when I was, like, making my list was Leave No Trace with Ben Foster. Um, and... I'd thought about it, and it was, like, two days after we had recorded, and I was like, oh, I should have put that on my on my list instead, because it might be one of the best movies that I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, oh, wow. It was so, so, so good. Does he play a bad guy? He doesn't. No, he plays, he plays this, like, war vet who lives in the forest with his daughter. Oh, right. I remember you telling me about this. And they, like, they, like, try and live off the grid, basically, and then they get found out, and uh-huh. then they have to try and adapt to living in, like normal society uh-huh. where both of them like she's like 13 or whatever and both of them have like lived you know off the grid for so long that like living in in like a normal functioning community like is almost impossible i wonder if you could show that as a companion as like not necessarily companion piece but a counterpoint to into the wild oh for sure you could that would be a really interesting like film studies assignment well and it's also like and it's also very like visually striking and it's very quiet and sort of contemplative and and that kind of thing and it's really 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 interesting Uh um and it's very possible that it's like based on a true story too that's the that's the thing right like there's no indication that it is but like you know that that's happening right that there are people who are who are living as off the grid as they can but like kind of in the middle of everything anyway Uh uh-huh but yeah, it was, it was funny, like, it was on, on a Wednesday or whatever, and I was like, oh, I fucked up! Because yes, that was definitely one of the best movies that I saw last year. It might be the best movie that I saw last year. Wow, okay. Yeah. Leave No Trace, you've heard it here, folks. Yeah, it was real good. Real, real good. I finally read a book that I liked. Can I tell you about this book that I liked? I would love to hear about the book that you liked. It's called The Address... And it's historical fiction. It's written about this woman, Sarah J. Smythe, who's recruited from being a um, kind of like head housekeeper at a very posh hotel in London to be, they call her a managerette, a.k.a. the manager of the Dakota, which is a really kind of infamous and um, old apartment building in New York. It's where John Lennon was living and was shot and killed. Yeah. Um, and it's a very interesting book. It deals with a lot of gender issues, so, like, how she's treated differently because she's, like, the first female manager of this type of, 
establishment, essentially like a business. Yeah. And um, it's really heartbreaking because the author combines the history of this building plus some of the contemporary events with gender that were happening at that time. So do you remember when that journalist disguised herself as um, a mental patient and went into that women's asylum in New York and then wrote an expose? Yeah. Uh, Well, the author combines that into this narrative, and it is seriously so fucking heartbreaking the way that women in this novel are just, like, thrown away like trash. Yeah. Oh, my God. So in the the book, spoilers for this book, you should still read it, because I'm only going to tell you, like, half the story. Um, This woman, Sarah, falls in love with essentially the... Uh, architect and designer of the building and has an affair with him um, despite him being married and having three kids and she becomes pregnant and she tries to hide the pregnancy because she knows that like she's going to lose everything if everyone finds out that A, she's unmarried and pregnant and B, it's essentially like someone very high up in the hotel like it'll harm both of them if it comes out Right. But she starts getting quite ill in her early pregnancy. And she begins to, like, not be able to do her job very well. She'll, she has fainting spells and she's forgetful and she can't quite do her whole duties. And uh, someone's necklace, emerald necklace, goes missing. And it's found in her desk drawer. Ooh, okay. And she has no idea. She's... She's not someone who would do that. She has the utmost um, uh, respect and integrity for her job. Like, she values it as the most important thing in her life. Like, she would never do anything to jeopardize it. And she's taken away by the police. And she tries to tell the judge that, no, I've just been ill and I... I haven't stolen it and I don't know how it got there and like you need to interview more people because I'm not the only one like who services the rooms and like all those things and they essentially just to keep the reputation of this new very fancy very high profile apartment building safe send her off to this mental institution oh wow because she can't tell them that she's pregnant. Oh, okay. Because of the, the circumstances, right, okay. Yeah, and the treatment that she gets there is just, like, fucking awful. They're beaten all the time, and they have to, um, like, march out in the cold. Like, it's so fucked up. Some of the women there are, like, legitimately mentally ill. And other people are there because they are just like she like an unwed mother and yet they're forced into mental institutions right and so something traumatic happens and she believes she's going into labor and she wakes up some unknown amount of time later in essentially like a hospital suite adjacent to the asylum and she doesn't have a baby anymore what and everyone says like oh it's it came out and it was deformed and it died right away. It wasn't, 
it wasn't, they say, like, of this world or going to live in this world. Interesting. And she's, like, heartbroken. And at that moment after she gets ill and, and loses her child, as she thinks, um, that's when the undercover journalist comes into the asylum and gets to know her and learns her story. And the journalist frees her eventually, essentially. Okay. Like, writes the expose, and she's the first woman that's taken out and given her freedom back. And that's only half of the fucking story of this novel. Interesting. It's wild. So I do recommend it. It made me so angry. I was just like, when the judge was just like, mm, you know what? The, and they're so pedantic and, like, treat women like they're children. Just like, well, you don't really know how to take care of yourself, so we're going to put you somewhere where someone will take care of you. And it's mm-hmm. a goddamn mental effect. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, like, at that moment, I got so mad, I had to put the book away for a day. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't continue reading this right now. I am too emotional about it. I'm going to step back. But it's a high recommend. And there's a second storyline that's in uh, 1985 that I haven't told you anything about. That's also incredibly interesting. So I definitely recommend that book. It's called The Address, you said? Yes, it's called The Address. I'm just going to look on my phone right now for the author. (laughs) Open up my Libby app here. The Address shelf it is by fiona davis okay she also wrote the dollhouse i guess okay i haven't read that one but yeah i recommend the address by fiona davis um cool 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 so i was um i was as you were talking i was thinking about so i was like this seems like super fascinating um but what i was thinking about i heard from i'm getting a student teacher again uh this coming semester and I already know, I've already met her and, and that kind of stuff, because she's not coming from the U of A, so their program, where she's coming from, is a little bit different, um, where they, like, know who their person is well ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she's, she came in to see me in December, and she's been, like, doing some prep work for some of the stuff that we're going to be doing. Uh, and one of the one of the novels, the, the novel that we're teaching in the 20-1 class, the, the, the grade 11 class, is Three Day Road by Joseph Boyden. Um, that was like my That's choice. That's a great book. It is. It's and there's a lot of and it's because I'm doing this combo class with like social twenty, so we can talk about like ideas about identity and like and nationalism and that sort of stuff and like we can look at, you know, the whole question of Joseph Boyden's identity and mm-hmm. whether or not saying something makes it so. Um, but anyway, so I got this, and I, I got this this uh, email from my student teacher, and she was wondering if I had any like resources or anything to help deal with some of like the sexual content that's in the book. And part of me is like, mm, no, mostly because I don't particularly care that it's there because it's not like the focus of the story. No, and it's it's not even really a focus of the characters. It's kind of like added in as just like a. This is also added to the shit of my life. Yes. Yes. More so than more. Yeah. And it was, but it was just a really, it was an interesting thing. Cause like, as you were talking about this story, as you were talking about the address, I was thinking like, 
you know, this would be like an interesting thing to sort of look at, um, maybe not in high school, but like in a, in a course to talk about like how you, you know, how you kind of can marry like the real events of, of the day with like a fictional creation ultimately, right? Like how do you, how do you seamlessly sort of integrate? Cause that's one of the things about fiction that you find a lot of times is like stuff exists sort of outside, um, outside the novel, right? And it's like, even though it's set in a particular time, you don't ever hear about, like, real-life things that are going on. So it's interesting that that, like, has that. So I was thinking about Three Day Road, and it was a really fascinating question. Like, I... Because I, I hadn't really thought about it. I've read the book a number of times, and... Like, I know that there's, like, sexual content in the book, but I'm just like, yeah, well, whatever. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Mm-hmm. But then I also... And I, I also don't think that that needs to be belabored. I don't think so either. In the it's, book. it's part of it. It's just there. Yeah. And it's part of telling and the that's, story. And that's a part of the book that makes it so interesting when talking about that character is that it's so blasé. It is. Well, and the other thing, too, I was like, yeah, and if we can teach, like, The Wars by Timothy Finley, I feel like we don't need to worry about it in this book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, you know. Um, but, I mean, and, and for the, if, if you're not sure, if you don't know, like, Three Day Road, it's about... Um, Indigenous soldiers in World War One, and sort of like the sort of a, a very sort of focused experience of 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 two, um, of uh, who are like childhood friends, um, and it's fascinating. It's a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating story, um, and I would strongly recommend that you read it. To be perfectly honest, it is, and not, like this is what I think is similar to the address too is that when you read a novel from a different experience and perspective of yours I feel like your capacity for empathy grows Mm -hmm. and there's something really interesting about these two books where the injustice and the pain of that character is almost only a footnote because there's so much more to them that fills them that makes you think, oh, wow, this yes. would have been, this would have been hell. And it's not just because, you know, they, they were in World War One, but because of all this other stuff that adds to their life. Yes. That you would not have known about otherwise. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that is an interesting way of putting it. Because, yeah, like, and I think you're right, the idea of, like, reading something for, that exists outside of your own experience, it does give you that capacity for empathy, I think, a little bit better than something that's, like, you know, some, something that you recognize really easily uh-huh. as your own. Um, because, like, I mean, there's question, and so the, the rest of the stuff that we're doing, like, in this course, I'm, we're looking at all mostly Canadian stuff. Uh-huh. Is my idea, um, except for I got to do Shakespeare. So Shakespeare, <sighs> yeah, because the government said so. Um, but one of the things that that we're gonna look at is like uh, short, some Margaret Lawrence short stories, but a collection, um, some Alice Munro stuff as well, uh-huh. and some other, an Alistair MacLeod perhaps. I've got a couple in mind that I would maybe want to look at from him, stuff like that. Um, but it's all interesting because, like, you look at the way... So I bought this I bought this collection of Canadian short stories. And something that I find really fascinating about, like, anthologies of literature, especially, is how stuff is compiled. And in this anthology that I bought, um, 
things are compiled like thematically. So there's right. like four or five uh, Alice Munro stories in this collection, but none of them are in the same section of the book because they've been put together in sort of maybe an unconventional way. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm kind of looking forward to, to getting into some of that and sort of how some of those things fit together and, and those kinds of themes. But yeah, listening to you talk about the address and like, you know, that, that marriage of like the, pre- like the fictional world and the real world, uh-huh. um, I think is a really interesting thing. And I wish, cause I read lots of historical fiction and I kind of wish that like m- more authors would do a better job of that. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like, which is maybe one of the reasons why I always found, like, Outlander so compelling. Like, the books. Because you have real people. Yeah, for sure. Especially when I started reading those books. I remember, I think, reading the second one when they go to France. And having, like, every time a new character was introduced, being like, okay, wait, is this one real? Mm -hmm. Or is this one someone of her invention? Because you could never tell the difference. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's the um, kind of show point of good historical fiction is breathing life equally to fake and real characters. Well, yeah, because I think it helps you to contextualize like what you're reading better because uh-huh. it's set in a real in something real and not just like not just set sort of in this sort of vague past, you know, but here's some details and here's some people. Like, with Outlander, when she introduces and they talk about, like, Bonnie Prince Charlie, right? Um, so then when the show starts, and you, I heard, like, the theme song for the first time, my brain, like, fucking exploded. Because the song that they use for the theme song in Outlander uh, is called the Skyboat Song. Mm-hmm. And it was originally written about this girl, um, but it was also then, like, the lyrics were rewritten to be about Bonnie Prince Charlie, and I was like, oh, what an interesting choice. Yeah, for sure. Especially because it seems like that song I always thought was just made for the show. Because it fits perfectly. Because it fits perfectly. But you're like, oh, wait, this has a historical background to it that is also so important. Yeah. Yeah. What's next on your reading list? Um, on my Libby app here, I started one called Girl Waits with a Gun yesterday. Um, I'll read the synopsis to you here. How do I find the synopsis on my Libby app? View title details. There we go. Uh, Constant cop doesn't quite fit the mold. She towers over most men, has no interest in marriage or domestic affairs, and has been isolated from the world since a family secret sent her and her sisters into hiding 15 years ago. One day, a belligerent and powerful silk factory owner runs down their buggy, and a dispute over damages turns into war of bricks, bullets, and threats as he unleashes his gang on their family farm. When the sheriff enlists her help in convicting the men... Constance is forced to confront her past and defend her family, and she does it in a way that few women of 1914 would have dared. Ooh. Yeah, so that's Girl Waits with a Gun by Amy Stewart. I started last night. Apparently, according to my app, I'm 18% way through, and it's like, oof. That confrontation between her and this silk owner is like just classic male domination like she goes with the bill because he essentially rammed over their buggy that their horse was 
pulling and like destroys it it's smashed into smithereens and when she goes to confront him after he ignores her uh letters asking for damages he stands over her and says oh i know your little sister who's 15 Mm -hmm. um sleeps alone at night which bedroom is hers is hers the windows that you can see from the street oh man Oh, and, like, his gang comes behind her and, like, breathes on her neck. And it was just, like, oh, like, if (laughs) all women have had an interaction like that where you're just, like, this is danger. Like, this man is danger right now. Yes. It was, yeah, so I'm I'm excited to keep reading that today. I'm kidding. I started reading um, The Clockmaker's Daughter. Oh, finally, Megan! Well, hey, I've been busy, like, doing other things. Um, I'm about, I'm probably, like, a third of the way through. I will not finish it today, but, um, it's so far, like, I remember when we talked about it before, you said, like, it was very different from her other stuff. Yeah. And it really is, like, it feels very different right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. It's good. She's a great writer. She is, and I like how, like, this book, I think, is is thicker it's longer than the other ones she's done as well so i like how she's kind of like taken a taken a risk and done a different thing Mm -hmm. um because to be honest her her books were a bit um what's the word i'm looking for formulaic before yeah and sometimes you could tell what the turn and the twist was was gonna be Mm -hmm. but that one was just so so different and i'm really excited to hear what you think of at yeah. the end yeah so far like so far i'm quite enjoying it so that's good um, what's the plot for you so far what do you mean like how far are you in the plot um well i don't know i'm like kind of like a th- i'm about a third of the way through it okay so it's still like very expositiony yes um so i have and because of that i think i haven't like kind of figured out what's coming yeah, and like what's important and what's yeah. context. Yeah, but which which in a way I think is good because in like you say like in her other stuff, I think once you were like a third of the way through, you could kind of telegraph. It was telegraphed a little bit. Yeah, and you could be like, oh, okay, this is what's important to that character. Yeah, this is what they might have to deal with in the yeah in the future or whatever. Yeah, and the other thing that I'm doing like reading wise, um, I've got a bunch of books that like I have, but I've never that I haven't read or I haven't finished or whatever. Um, Uh And so they're all on my shelf upstairs. And so I'm just, like, working my way through, like, because I've shelved all my books by an alphabetical order. So I'm just, like, working my way through. Um, Starting with, like, the ones with the A's and then just kind of, yeah. So some of the books... That's crazy. Well, I feel like I might as well. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I have them. Um, and I'm not going to get rid of them, and I obviously bought them because I wanted to read them. True. Right? Part of my problem with books, and I feel like you maybe have, have the same problem sometimes, is, like, you buy them with the best of intentions, uh-huh. and then you reread something that you've read already. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, sometimes it takes a lot of mental capacity to read something new. Yeah, and you, and you know that the the stuff that you've read and you've loved, that you love it, so you might as well just read it again. Yeah. Um, and so Absolutely. I have, I'm f- I've committed myself for like the year, ultimately, 
that I can only do a reread after I've read, like, four new books. Okay. Um, which is gonna be a challenge, and I know that. That should also be, you're not allowed to rewatch something. Oh, that- Until you reread four books. Absolutely or not. Until you read four new books. Nope. Nope, because I'm going to watch, like, 19 episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine later today, so no. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be that or The Office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is going to be either that or The Office. It is, that is true. Um, but no, I that's, that's what I've committed myself to for, like, the reading for this year. That's good. I was just going to say, the name didn't come to me, but now it do. Now it did. Is that, um, The Clockmaker's Daughter really reminds me of a Sarah's, Sarah Waters book. Mm-hmm. Have you read any of hers? I read The Night Watch over the summer. I have not and read it's... The Night Watch, but I've read... Oh, what's the other one that I've read of hers? Is Did she write The Paying Guests? I think so, Is yeah. Is that her? Yes, I've read that one. It, it feels like one of her books. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um... I can see that. It, it, yeah, it, it's such a different a tone and a different sort of voice that Kate Morton uses in The Clockmaker's Daughter than previous, so. Um, I have a question for you. Sure. Have you watched any of, um, on Netflix, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo? I haven't. Okay, even though you haven't, can I talk about it for a minute? Please. So, as you know, you've been to my house many times. Uh, I'm not a tidy person. Okay. I'm not, and I never have been. Like, it's never been a thing that has been a, a concern to me. Um, my classroom is a fucking disaster. Um, I know where all my stuff is, but, like, other people don't, which mm-hmm. is fine, because I know where to find things. Um, well, no one knows where the fucking pencil sharpener is, Megan. Oh, God, it's in the same <laughs> fucking place it has been all goddamn year. Anyway, um... So, I watched, I was talking to, to my friend Erin the other night, and, and she was like, have you watched any of this? And I was like, no. Because I read the, her book, and I was like, there was things in the book that really bothered me. Okay. Uh, um, but seeing it, like, sort of played out on this, sh- on her show makes it bother me a little bit less. Because one of the ideas, one of the things she talks about, um, is that, like, the stuff that you keep... Um, should be things that, like, spark joy. And, I like, I know you guys just moved, and so I imagine that when you were packing up that there was things that just, like, you did not bother to bring with you. Oh, 100%. I did a, a huge purge, and there's still so much stuff here that I just put it right back on a shelf, haven't touched it since. Right. And so, so the idea is that, like, the things that you have in your home should spark joy in you. So, like, when you touch them and you look at them, like, there's an, an emotion attached yeah. To that. And I think lots of the stuff that we keep, we just have because, right? But one of the things that she talks about, and one of the things that she does, and, and, and it was in her book, and this is kind of what turned me off of what she had to say, had to do with books. Because she separates, like, your tidying and organizing into five sections. There's, like, clothing, there's books, um, there's, like, the miscellaneous, there's, like, everywhere else, like, the kitchen, your bathroom, whatever, and then you've got, like, your sentimental things, and then, like, documents. Mm-hmm. Because documents are a very important thing to keep tidy as well. Right. So she, when she talks about books, and I find it really interesting that that's like its own category. Um, she basically like encourages people in certain ways, I guess, that if you don't, if a book doesn't like spark joy in you in whatever fashion that means, that just get rid of it. And even if that means just like throwing it out. And I'm like, what? Why would you do that? Like at least give it 
you know, like, pass it on so that someone else can can use it or whatever. Yeah, in some way. Um, but yeah, it was just, the, so watching this on the show and watching sort of what she actually means about, like, you know, being intentional with the stuff that you have. Um, so what she has people do with their clothing, and she has people do this with everything, like, with your clothing is you take all of your clothes out of everywhere that you have them and you lay them all in one spot. So you can actually see, like, what you have mm-hmm. and how much there is. Because it's really easy to, like, go through your sock drawer and take out, like, oh, I don't need these seven pairs of socks. Uh-huh. But then have an overflowing closet full of stuff, right? Um, yeah. So the idea and is feel to take productive. everything out and, like, look at it. Um, and then, you know, and then hold on to each item and see, like, how do you actually feel about that item and keep it if, if, it, if it, you know, sparks joy in you or whatever. Um, and so I've watched probably half of the episodes that are on Netflix and they're diff- she goes with different families and like different circumstances and different reasons for like wanting to go through this process of like tidying their homes and like kind of it's like a lifestyle shift and a way of thinking shift but one of the one of the women on, in one of the families said something really interesting and it got me thinking about the books as well it's like if you have a cocktail dress that you don't love but you need a cocktail dress you're not going to throw it out it might not spark joy, but you need a cocktail dress. Mm-hmm. And I was it's like, a utilitarian. Yeah, and I was like, mm, that's kind of a fair point. Because, like, I'm looking at my bookshelf, and, you know, like, my bookshelf down here, downstairs, is all, like, the nonfiction stuff and, like, the biographies and memoirs and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I can promise you that my copy of John Keegan's The Second World War sparks no joy whatsoever in me, but it is a very useful an important book. An yeah. important book. There's no joy in it. Mm-hmm. There's no joy in my copy of The Big Short. <laughs> you know? But they're interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're worth they're worth having. And so it was, it was an interesting sort of look at, you know, why we have the stuff that we have. That being said, I did take nine garbage bags full of stuff to the Bissell's under donation spot the other day. Yeah, I was going to say, so this is this is why your tweets make sense now. Yeah. <laughs> now I understand what prompted the yeah. the purge of well, 2019. Well, and I mean, some of it was just like, you know, you have like, oh, I have like outerwear. And that's what it was. And I was like, it's wintertime, it's cold. And I was like, I should probably get rid of this uh-huh. and give it somewhere where it can be useful. But then I also, then I went upstairs into the closet in my guest room and there's like, you know, duffel bags and stuff in there and that's fine. There's also a set of suitcases that I haven't used since 2011. Do you know how I know? Because I still had, like, a fucking luggage tag from an airline on it from when I went to Hawaii in 2011. Oh, my God. Oh, for that wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, why do I, like, you know, I, and I clearly have traveled since 2011. For sure. But I did not use that that set of suitcases. So, like, why do I still have it? Um, and so I went through some stuff and I, I got rid of a bunch of things. And it was interesting. I didn't do the whole, like, her whole that whole clothing process because there's stuff that I was like, there's no... There's no point in me taking this out of the closet because I'm just going to hang it back up again. Uh-huh. Like, I'm going to keep this t-shirt. That That's not a question, right? Um, but it was interesting, like, looking through the stuff. And I was, and, and you look at how much stuff it is and, like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, there's... I spent money on all these things. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but why? I definitely didn't need to do that. Yeah, for sure. And so it was, it was, it's been an interesting, like... It's been an interesting, like, last week to sort of get rid of some stuff, and you should be pleased to know, I'll send you a picture of it later, that there's no shit on the floor in my living room. Oh, wow! And my kitchen table is, like, not quite cleared off entirely, but, like, I'm starting a course. Nearly there? I'm start- well, I'm starting a course tomorrow, and I'm not going to go work upstairs, so I'm going to use that as, like, my workspace. 
So there's uh-huh. some like course material stuff there and a couple things I need to deal with before the end of next week. But yeah, it's like pretty clean. That's good. And I'm gonna Could try I to... easily find where the Kleenex box is? Uh, yes, it's uncovered. There's no books <laughs> on top of it right now. Perfect. Yeah. I can't have things on my floor or else my doggy will eat them. That is true. I should get a dog. No, I should not get a dog. It would die. Um, You're going to love my doggy. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What's his name again? Apollo. Oh, right. Like Apollo Creed. Right, 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 right. Okay, I have a quiz for you. Oh, shit. Okay. Are it, we running long, by the way? I don't know. Oh. It's like, um, yeah, more or less. Um, okay. one quiz. Let's get to questions right after this. Then. Yeah. I, I, it's, uh, I was, it's because I've been watching lots of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I know you like the Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. So it is a, it's a BuzzFeed thing. It's, which Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec characters are you a combination of? Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. First of all, how would your friends describe you? Ambitious, imaginative, loyal, optimistic, genuine, or courageous? Oh, God. I never know how to answer these. You answer that one. Uh, Okay. I'm going to put loyal. Okay. Because I think that's very true. Okay. Choose a TV character to be your BFF. Okay. Michael Scott from The Office. Randall Pearson from This Is Us. Brooke Davis from One Tree Hill. Jughead Jones from Riverdale. Eleanor Shellstrop from The Good Place. Or Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy. Oh my god. None of these are like good BFFs. What was the Grey's Anatomy one? Christina Yang. Is that Sandra Oh? Yeah. I'll choose her. I've never seen that show, but she seems like a cool chick. <laughs> She's pretty awesome. Uh, pick a snack to eat in the office break room. Nachos, yogurt, candy, cookies, french fries, or popcorn? Candy. Okay. Um, choose a running gag from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, Cheddar the Dog, Die Hard, The Halloween... Title my sex tape. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, which Parks and Rec character would you rather be handcuffed to for the day? Uh, Mona Lisa, Craig Middlebrooks, Joan Calamazzo, Purd Happily, Lil Sebastian, or Tammy Two? Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, God. Mona Lisa. Okay, I, I was pretty sure that's what you were going to say, but I didn't know for sure. Okay, now pick one other comedy series uh, that you would watch. There's The Good Place, Veep, How I Met Your Mother, The Middle, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. A Good Place, please. All right. You are... Would you like to guess who your combination is before I tell you? <sighs> I'm going to say Anne Perkins and Gina. Uh, no. Oh. You got Amy Santiago and Leslie Nope. Okay, well, are we surprised? No, not at all. You're a combo (laughs) of Amy and Leslie. Like Amy, you wear your heart on your sleeve. And like Leslie, you're a natural-born leader who always takes charge of any situation. You're optimistic, persistent, and hardworking. Well, half of that is true, but okay. I would say like three-quarters of that is true. Three, for sure. Okay, questions? I have yeah, some, go ahead. I have some questions. So, uh, Mike had asked, uh, he said Mary Poppins is the best. Oh, no, he says Mary Poppins Returns is fucking awesome. Discuss. Already done. Um, so, the Oilers are really bad. I don't know if you know that. 
I have no idea what's going on with them. Well, they played the Kings uh, yesterday, and the Kings, I believe, are bottom in the Western Conference, and the Kings beat the Oilers 4 nothing. Okay. It was really bad. Um, and I was like, oh, I should write about how bad the Oilers were. And I was like, oh, just, well, wait a second. I did that last week. Um, and I have to write a pregame when we're done here. Uh, and I can write one from like basically a year ago today and not change anything. (laughs) And that's probably not good. No, not really. Uh, Beaker says, why is this happening? I'm assuming about the Oilers. Um, Mike asks, are the Oilers good? You guys all seem to be under the assumption that this is an Oilers podcast. And then there's someone here uh, called, they call me the count. Just hang on. I'm going to address all of these questions all at once. Uh, And how much worse can this possibly get? Um, So here's the thing. (laughs) Nobody in the Oilers organization gives two shits about the Oilers. Um, Yeah, they don't care. Daryl Cates doesn't care that the team isn't doing well because he's still making money, so what difference does it make? Um, is it rock bottom, like Mike asks? I'm not sure. I think it could get worse. Yesterday was pretty bad, um, but I think it could get worse. So that's that's my informed opinion on that. They're real, real shitty. It's terrible. Um, yeah, that's pretty That's pretty wild. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because like what's happening now, and like we've talked about this before, like in the media, like the mainstream media with like Speck and fucking Dan Paperclip and all those guys, um, they're finally starting to like openly criticize management, mm-hmm. which with the way that like media access works here, you don't do that if you want access. No, and so I think that they're finally either being allowed to criticize management or are they finally just like, you know, we don't care anymore. Yeah. We're going to do our actual jobs. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been pretty bad. And I was watching, like, the sports net news after the game and they were, like, talking sort of woefully about the Oilers again. And I was like, ugh, this is never going to change. Um, what else do we have here? Is this rock bottom, Mike? I don't think so. I think that there's uh, a lot more to go. I don't know what that's going to be. I think that's going to be when Connor McDavid asks for a trade. Um, but anyway, Amanda wants to know, when are you going to catch up on Riverdale? Never. Ooh. I'm done. I'm done, though, with it. I still have to catch up on the last. There's more Sabrina the Teenage Witch... Um, released, and that's better than Riverdale, so I'll watch that eventually. Interesting. So, because you loved Riverdale. The first season, yeah. You and then like... it was just like, it got so fucking stupid and so outlandish for anything that would uh, involve a teenager's life day to day. Like, like, I am very good at suspending disbelief if I think that it lives in some sort of logic of the universe that this thing exists in. Right. But holy fuck. Like, they jumped the shark ages ago. Well, and the thing that I remember from when you first started talking about Riverdale, like, you fucking loved it. Just because it was so juicy. Yeah. so salacious. Yeah. And then it lost that side of itself and started to think of itself as a serious drama and it's very much not yeah and it came kind of like a telenova yeah it's just it, yeah i gotcha it, t- it took some turns that i just didn't care about that's fair enough 
That is absolutely fair enough. Um, because yeah, like I remember, I remember one time, but I think, I think it might've been after you watched the first episode and you, I think you said, pitched it to me as sort of like, this is like the epitome of this podcast because it's like so bad. It's, it's great. Uh-huh. And I remember like, it was like your weekly Riverdale update and, and, and stuff. And yeah, I, and I noticed that you've not talked about it. Oh no, I haven't. I think I watched the finale last season when Archie gets taken away for murder obviously he didn't do and yeah i haven't cared about what has happened interesting. since then interesting. he can rot in jail for all i care he's a bad person interesting interesting um and mike's last question uh is an fmk which we'll put it like we'll link the tweet on our blog post if you want to see it okay. um so it's an fmk uh between the, like, Elmo on fire gif and Louise Belcher on fire. Yeah. And this gif of Jamie Benn. Yeah, I did see that Doing one. the thing. Oh, God. So it's an FMK on that one. I think I'm I gotta... Gonna... I gotta Go kill ahead. the Jamie Benn. Yeah, for sure. It's bad. It's really bad. I think you... I think you marry the Louise one. Yes. Because it's more expressive than the Elmo one is. Yes. And I appreciate that. But the Elmo one is really good. It is. And just once in a while, you need it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Did anyone send you any questions? No. Um, I got a text last night from a buddy of mine from work saying that they, on Puck Soup, they answered my question, or they read my answer to their question. Um, and he called me a hockey man, which I, like my buddy did. Um, which I I thought, which I thought was really funny. But when, uh, Wyshynski read it out, he was like, Megan says, he's like friend of the show. And I was like, Oh wait, what? No way. I was like, I'll be a friend of your dumb show. That sounds fine with me. Um, but my, my buddy, when he texted me, he said that, um, what is this? He's like the Obi Wan. I think you're referred to as friend. He's like, yeah, our good friend Megan. And then I listened to it, but I, so I listened to it. And I was like, oh, that's so great. And then my buddy called me, uh, friend of the show, local podcast queen, enemy of men. And I was like, that is going on my tombstone. Thank you and good night. Enemy of men. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know if no one sent you any questions. No, I got nothing. That's Kay. it for me. So we are done. Excellent. Can't wait. <laughs> Um, thanks so much for listening. We'll, uh, see about, like, some sound engineering things, because we know it's not easy to listen to, like, me on the microphone and Kelsey on the phone. So we're gonna, we're gonna... Yes, we're hoping to upgrade this week. Yeah, we're gonna, we're in the nearish future. We're gonna see, we're gonna explore some options to make it sound a little bit better. Uh-huh. Although I will say this, I still am gonna listen to Puck Soup because, like, it's still mildly entertaining. Um differently but it's still enjoyable um and today it sounded or this week's it sounded like uh ryan lambert was like underwater talking into a phone from 1942 so i figured (laughs) as long as we sound better than that i'm probably okay with it yeah and we don't even have fucking sponsors no it's true god what was that beef jerky that you like 
It wasn't Big Chief, Big Chief. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so thank you. Thanks for listening and putting up with our, like, distance and all that kind of stuff. Uh, someday again, we'll get to record uh, in the same room as each other. That'll be fun. Um, you can find me on the Twitter at MIG14. You can find Kelsey on Twitter at GarbageFirePod. We have an email, garbagefirepodcast at gmail.com, and an Instagram at garbagefirepodcast. We have a website, garbagefirepodcast.com, and you can check out any of like, our, our little descriptions, and we always have like a clever picture for whatever this dumb episode is about. We do, and I really pride myself on choosing a very good picture. Did you see last week's was Christopher Wren? I did. It was pretty <laughs> okay, good. good. The one I really liked, though, was like the 12 Days of Christmas one, and that was pretty fucking phenomenal. <laughs> that one took me like a fucking hour to do, and legit, nobody said anything, and I was very upset. Um, and then we also still, we have to talk about some things like with uh, stuff on Teespring or whatever. Teespring is that where our thing is? Yeah. Because uh, we have some ideas that we'll, we'll get out at some point in time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully soon. Yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, also, just before we go, Taylor Hall is an all-star again. Yes. He is. Yay, Taylor Hall. Uh, Please uh, play a game soon yeah, so no that kidding. I can watch the Devils. Um, if you feel like watching them today, they're on the television. <gasps> Are they? Like the real TV at 2 o'clock, yeah. Oh my god, okay, looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's all we have uh, for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you in the dumpster. <laughs>